Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Henry Saxby. Before we get to Henry, I want to remind you that the website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there, check out some articles that I've written, some of the guests have written. Also, you can see photos of the guests. And most importantly, you can see links to all our social media, which is, of course, Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, and our Facebook page, which is Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. There are also links to Stitcher Radio and iTunes where you can subscribe to the show. And if you're on iTunes, why not give us a good rating? That boosts our presence, which helps people find this show, and that boosts our presence even more. So if you can do that, I would appreciate it. If you want to write me, it's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right. Who is Henry Saxby? I will tell you. Henry is a man I met on my most recent cruise that I just took with the Emerald Princess from Princess Cruises. Uh, that was my first time ever with Princess Cruises. Uh, I've only done celebrity cruises before, performing comedy, and this was my first time on Princess. And we left Fort Lauderdale and went to uh, Princess Key, which is basically a private island that Princess Cruise Lines owns. And then we went uh, to St. Martin, my third time to St. Martin and St. Thomas, and my first time to Grand Turks. But the cruise, uh, Princess Cruise Lines, pretty comparable to Celebrity. One benefit to Princess Cruise Lines, we did get to see a Love Boat reruns 24-7 in your cabin on one of the, <laughs> on one of the channels of the television, which, um, man, I got to tell you, I watched that show all the time as a kid in the 70s, thought it was great, and now looking at it, boy, is it corny, but yet could not take my eyes off it in the cabin at least for the first five minutes, when you want to find out who the guest stars are that week. I saw one with ne Leslie Nielsen. I saw John Ritter on one, Jacqueline Smith on another, Monty Hall, <laughs> people like that. You never knew who was coming through that door, but boy, were the scripts bad. Such an innocent time. Anyway, while I was on the ship, I did manage to make friends with a, a nice Australian guy who was uh, living next door to me, actually. He performs every night in the piano bar, plays piano, sings, got a great voice, talented guy. His name's Henry Saxby, and we hung out for that week, and it made the week go much better, I gotta say. Having someone just to hang out with or uh, eat a meal with and uh, chat. So before I left the ship, I had him sit down with me in my cabin, and we uh, had a conversation about his life, how he got to the ships, where he's been, and that kind of thing. And I will preface this by saying I did have my little handheld, which means that it won't sound like the pristine, dulcet tones that you're hearing right now with my nice microphone in my home studio. No, this was done remotely. And I tried to bump up the audio quality where I could, but uh, it's not going to sound the same. So I'm just uh, warning you right now. But it doesn't sound bad. You can hear us, but it's just not the same. You'll notice the difference. So that being said, please enjoy my conversation with the talented Henry Saxby from Room 7103 
on the Emerald Princess somewhere in the Caribbean. Enjoy. Saxby, did I say that right? Yes, you did. Good evening, Saxby. A good uh, Aussie. Yes, from Sydney. Yep. And you are the, uh, I guess, one of the entertainers. What would we call you? A uh, regular entertainer? A yeah, yeah. Um, weirdly enough, I can't think of it. A resident guest entertainer. That's resident guest entertainer. Yes. So on the ship here, we're on the Emerald Princess now. You are a step ahead of the people. Say, no, I don't want to say ahead, but. You're at a different level than, say, the people in the shows, right? The actors and yeah, the, the singers there. Then the vast majority, yes. Um, there's a certain amount of what you would call a resident guest entertainer. The singers from the shows fall into that category. And then there's myself, um, the magician from the show. That's about it, really. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what's a typical contract for you? For me, with Princess, it can vary. Uh, the shortest one I've done is three weeks. The longest one, like this one, two and a half months. Two and a half months. Yeah. Okay. So, I've been on here a week. I'm about ready to get off the, the ship. Yeah. How does one stay sane over two and a half, three months? Because some of these like performers are here, they get six-month contracts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Most performers are here for six. Um, different positions in the, in the regular crew can be here for nine or ten months, which is a bit ridiculous. Wow. How do you stay sane? That's a very good question. <laughs> uh, four or five years ago, it involved a lot of alcohol. Yeah. Now it involves a lot more reading and a lot less alcohol. What's the uh, the hardest part about it, you think? Is with, it the food or is it... With my position, it would be boredom closely followed by food. Right. Only working three hours a day, you know, affords you a lot of free time, which is a great thing, but you, you are limited as to how much you can do to fill that time when you're stuck in this environment. Right. So people should know, you, you sing in the uh, piano bar. Yes. You are the guy, you're, you're the piano man. Yes, that's right. And there's more than one of you on the ship, right? Uh, well, there's one, more than one piano player, but there's only one piano bar, per okay. se, and only one piano bar guy. And every night, you end up singing the same songs, right? Uh, like a... The favorites. Like yeah. There's a hardcore, there's a core group of like 10 songs you have to sing. Right? There's a decent selection of songs that people want every night. Uh, I don't usually jump on them knowing they're expected. I usually wait till someone requests it. But there's, the, you know, songs like Piano Man people will ask for every single day. Yep. I was going to say that one. That was got to be. And a lot of Elton John, I'm guessing. Yep. Lots of Elton John, lots of Billy Joel, Beatles, Queen. Right. They'd be the top of my repertoire I guess okay but they're mostly like uh, the rock era it sounds like 60s 70s up to now 60s 70s 80s it seems like yeah that's that's kind of my forte um, I know a lot of piano bar guys will do a lot of standards a lot of jazz a lot of even show tunes um, I was never into that never learnt that and even when people have requested I've sort of deflected away from it does the cruise ship say hey look could you do they care what you play? I mean, do they? They don't care what you do as long as you keep an audience. Right. What's the typical audience for you? Like in terms of numbers, what would you say? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, this bar looks like it holds probably eighty to a hundred people comfortably seated, and most nights it's pretty full. Um, again, depending cruise to cruise. Uh, I'm, on, I'm new on this ship, but it's been pretty full most nights. But then when you have a run of port days in a row, people tend to go to bed earlier. So, right. Yeah. Have you been uh, in a position ever that the cruise director or somebody came up to you and went, hey, it's a little light in there? 
Uh, what, what can we do to pick this up? Luckily, no, I've never been in that position. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been the other way? There's like, hey, you're killing it out there. I mean, it's like you're drawing from the other shows. <laughs> uh, you, get a little worse. You never, you never get that. But um, usually, if it's full, it's just like, hey, you're doing a great job. Try not to let that up. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Don't let it go the other. But they way. won't give you a raise or anything. No, no. And see, that's too bad. No, I've, so there's no cover charges and anything like that. So it's hard to really know how much you're, how many more are coming or not. Yeah, just I, by sight, really. I used to work with a different cruise line, and uh, they definitely monitored the turnover of the bar, um, and also I could have a tip jar on the piano, uh, uh-huh. and so then I could also monitor my own success by how much money I was making additionally. And Princess doesn't allow any tip jars or anything like that. No, they don't, but they do pay substantially more to compensate for that. Okay, well that's good. So how many other cruise lines have you worked with? At least three. Um, there's not that many of them. <laughs> there's, there's, I did Celebrity. That's the only other one I did. Did you yeah. ever work with them? Uh, no, I haven't worked with Celebrity. I did uh, seven contracts with Royal Caribbean, uh, one with Carnival, and one with a cruise line, an English line called uh, Thompson Cruises. Okay. No, yeah. Thompson Vacations. I, same yes, people? same, same company, people. yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. So what's the difference working with a, uh, a largely English crowd? As opposed to, say, an American crowd. Uh, More queen. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's definitely a difference in the repertoire. Actually, I was chatting with a maiden one the other day who plays guitar and sings, and he was saying he's looking forward to crossing over to Europe so he can change his repertoire, you know, get away from a lot of the... I suppose bands like Journey would be more popular in the States. Absolutely, yeah. But in America, the... Ah, sorry. In England, the only Journey people will know will be Don't Stop Believing. So it's great. I love being with an English audience, and then people say, play some Journey, and you bust out something like Faithfully, and people say, play some Journey. And oh, no. I did. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what about, uh, yeah, I guess in Europe it would be a lot of, be a little more ABBA heavy, I would, I would think. Yeah, but I don't do any ABBA, so we're safe there. Oh, boy. See, uh, now that's, that's pretty ballsy of you, because somebody's got to suggest it, right? People do suggest it. Um, you know, I, I put out a list of songs, which if you can direct people to that list... Uh, and it's not an alphabetical thing. It's not very sterile. You know, it's entertaining in itself. You put out a list? Yeah, I sit them on the piano. Oh, you do? And if okay. people take that and have a look through it, and you can direct the audience to that, then you can generally keep people requesting from the song bank that you do know, and there's enough diversity on that that that's, that impresses people enough without worrying about those that complain that you don't know enough ABBA or show tunes or <laughs> okay, yeah. jazz. Right. Okay, so we should say, how for how many years have you been doing this? Nine on ships. Nine? Oh, five, five on ships and a couple on land as well. Okay. Now, you started, you're from Australia. Yep. Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, how did this journey happen? How did you get from there to here? I played, I played in bands in Australia for a couple of years. Um, Always keyboards? Keyboard and rhythm guitar. Oh, okay. And uh, generally lead vocals as well. Um, oh, no. But after that all sort of fell, fell to pieces, after the main band fell to pieces, I moved over to London just to pursue music. I had no idea how I was going to do it or what I was going to do, but I did stumble across a piano bar and uh, went in there one night when I was particularly broke and, you know, sort of talked myself up to get myself in with at least an audition and it sort of snowballed from there. So you worked at your first job was in London, yeah. at a pub in London. Yeah, a tiny little piano bar held... 
I mean, if if you had 120 people in there, it was slammed. There was there was half the room was standing, and that was a typical Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Uh, very <laughs> high energy, very drunk. Myself and everybody else. Sounds like it could have been fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> Did you look at that and go, "Well, this is this is a living," but I don't know if this is something I really want to. Uh, pursue or did you go hey this is a big market for me I'm going to go full on and how did the, where did the ships come in how did who introduced you to that well I got to the end of my working holiday visa in the UK so that was after two years of being there and I had the option to stay and try and apply for a, a highly skilled migrant visa um, which looked difficult at best because you know the visas aren't really aimed at musicians but also, I was sort of looking at the position and going, well, I've been doing this for two years in this job and it, I can't really grow in this position. I don't want to do another two years of exactly the same thing. So I started auditioning to different agencies and, and eventually, it took about another 12 months, but eventually the first proper cruise contract came along. And, and again, it was just to prolong travel and debauchery and not growing up basically <laughs> well what did uh, where did the first ones take you were they based out of Europe or were they first contract was the Thompson cruise that was two months in the Middle East we were sailing from Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt wow okay and doing seven day runs which went to Jordan and then to uh back to Egypt as well so you know pyramids and Petra basically well there's a there's a uh, culture shock yeah, yeah. Is it mostly um, Brits on, on the ships? All Brits on the ships. It was a very, very budget cruise line. It was a very old ship. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a pleasant couple of months. Um, <laughs> it, it definitely sounds more exciting than it, than it was in, in reality, yeah. What's, the, what's aside from the song uh, requests, what would be the biggest difference in uh, mostly a British traveling ship and then an uh, American, mostly passengers? The biggest difference is an American crowd's happy to walk into a bar and be just ready to party, ready to have a good time, whereas a British audience expects to be impressed before they'll enjoy themselves. Yeah, they're, they're tough, tough people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite common in the piano bar with the British audience that you'll sit there and think they hate you the entire night, <laughs> and then at the end of the night, half of the room will come up to you and they'll, they'll say, oh, we've had a lovely time, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't applauded or smiled all night long. Yeah, yeah. They they don't let it go that easy. That's where the booze comes in. Yeah, and that's where London was very different too. I mean, in London, you, you had the first half an hour of that impressed me, but then after a few drinks sunk in, and everyone drunk far too many at that place. <laughs> um, you were everyone's best friend by an hour in, and yeah. Right. Cruising's a bit different. <laughs> how much time do you get, say you pull into, uh, you go to Jordan, and you have, uh, like, how long does it take to get from the ship to Petra? and tour during the day I mean I could have spent all day in Petra I could have spent more than one day in Petra I thought it was really cool we we used to port in Aqaba which is about four hours on a bus yeah from I went to Eilat Petra. which is in Israel which is right by there yeah. yeah yeah we tried to go there but because working on the ship we were sort of without without cruise ID we were sort of um, talked off trying to cross borders into oh, places right. like Israel and I think it's um because you can miss the ship, for one. Yeah, and, you know, they're not big on uh, people from Western countries doing land border crossings in that area. Yeah. Um, they, they were definitely, like, hesitant about us trying to go and get a Saudi Arabia stamp in our passport. And mm. in hindsight, you know, it's probably not a bad thing. Well, I took the day... That's how I went to uh, Petra. I took the... I was staying in a lot, mm -hmm. and I took a day trip 
from Milat to uh, to Petra and back. So we did have to go through the the Jordan border. Yeah, it took a little while. Yeah, but you know, I was in a big group, so they they're used to it, you know. And this, but still, yeah, it's it's, yeah. A, it's an ordeal. Aqaba Port's a it's like an economic zone, like a. I don't know how you'd explain it, but it's a bit like a borderless zone. You know, they sort of make it a bit easier to get in and out of there. And I can remember just getting into standard Jordan from the port town was was like a border crossing in itself. Right. Uh, but yeah, we used to get into into Aqaba in the afternoon. Uh, the ship would stay overnight. No one would really leave the ship because there's not a lot to do there. And then the next day, everyone would go off on the tour. So we, we'd be there in Petra for three four hours tops it wasn't very long yeah um, and certainly not long enough to really explore the place I mean yeah, thankfully no. I've been able to go twice so yeah even in my one day thing it was it was all day there but I felt rushed you know yeah. that like oh man because you really want to be in there long enough to see the sunset over it it's supposed to be amazing and yeah I would have loved to do that well, that's that's one of the downsides to working in the cruise industry I mean it's great because we do get to travel and see a lot of these fantastic places um, for I six think, hours yeah, I think on last count, you know, I've been to something like fifty-five different countries. Wow! And I couldn't even tell you how many ports. But you only see them in the daylight hours. You know, you I can probably count on, you know, two hands how many overnights we've had in four years of working on ships. So you you don't see the whole side of a place. You only see one side of it. I mean, yeah, some places you go back to time and time again. Yeah. Um, Overnights are usually in in bigger cities, right? Like if they pull into, I don't know, Vancouver or something, right? You'll have or San Francisco. You'll have a, a whole night there. The, the overnights be places that have a hell of a lot to take in scenically. Right. Um, I know St. Petersburg's big for it. Um, Kobe in Japan because it's close to Osaka and Kyoto. Mm-hmm. Um, Hong Kong, Singapore. Um, in the Americas, there's not really many. Right. Do they go to New York? Do cruise ships go to New York? New Jersey, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The ports, the ports in Jersey, but you know, it's easy <laughs> enough to get there. Right. <laughs> Have you ever gone there for with a ship? No, I've never been to that area. I've never done New England. Oh, really? Or Scandinavia. Oh, okay. Uh, I was just there. Big cruise ports there. You go yeah. to the whole Baltic thing. There's a lot of them, yeah. I went to Stockholm, uh, Oslo, over to Tallinn, Estonia, and Helsinki. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all good stuff. Yeah, I'd love to do it. Um, I don't think I'll be on ships long enough to do it. But <laughs> Are you winding down and toward, you're toward the end of your yeah. rope, you think? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Is it just... It's got to be frustrating for you to, I don't know, as someone who writes music, to not be able to, I don't know, throw in one of your own things once in a while, play other people's music all the time. You can you can definitely play your own music, but you don't have the audience on side for that. You know, people mm-hmm. don't go to piano bar to hear original music. And if you're working to gain and hold the attention of an audience, uh, that's a very quick way to lose their attention. Um I know a lot of guys will go out of their way to force it in and persist with it, but I just figure I'm, that's not the job I'm here to do, um, and it's detriment, detrimental to what I'm, you know, what my aim is every evening. So I don't bother with it. Right. There's almost like a. I'm finding on these ships, it's almost like a hierarchy. It's like a giant high school yes. <laughs> amongst the workers. You know, everybody's got their cliques. Yes. You know, and then a lot of times it's divided by countries. Or uh, whatever level of worker you're on, like I'm sure the 
like the dishwasher guys got their crowd, and then yeah, like the stewards right. yeah. hang with them, and then there's the kid, the, the waiters, and the. Do you see it like that? I mean, I saw it in the crew bar a little bit. Yeah, you, you absolutely get that. Um, generally, most of the crew is pretty social with each other, but then the entertainment team's not technically crew. Like the entertainment, the shop people, we're all staff. So then right. we sort of get. I mean, it's. I don't want to generalize, but in a lot of cases, you do get treated differently by the rest of the crew. Like you, uh, uh, they kind of, you know, look down on you a bit because you're well paid and you don't really work, you know. Yeah. Then you get the better cabins and you get the better conditions. You can go and eat in the guest areas. And how long are they on the ship? Typically six, seven months. Okay. Um, the, The people in the spa, the girls that work up in the spa, typically nine. Um, sometimes longer mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of a lot of people work for an outside company that sends people to the ship so then it's not the cruise line itself that's dictating the length of the contracts it's mm-hmm. their company and Steiner that runs a lot of the spas on lots of different cruise lines yeah it's, they'll, they'll do nine months and then if they want if the employee wants their flights paid for it'll be 11 right <laughs> okay yeah. so give me your for people who are um uh, thinking about taking a cruise or even traveling the Caribbean, your top three uh, ports that you look forward to going to that you think are good? St. Martin would be my favorite, personally. Um, I mean, there's a lot that you can do that's walking distance from the ship that doesn't just have to involve shopping. Um, everyone's really friendly. It's a great beach. Again, walking distance from the ship, which, weirdly enough, you don't get a lot of in the Caribbean. Right. Um Cozumel is a crew favorite, hands down. Really? Um, Cozumel, Mexico. Yeah. yeah, I was there once, but why, why is that one a favorite? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of bars, there's a lot of uh, great restaurants, which are actual just you know, Mexican restaurants that aren't really aimed at the tourist market. Yeah. You, I mean, you've got to venture a bit away from, from the tourist traps, like the shopping areas. But yeah, there's plenty of that. And, and another thing that the crew love to do is just... You can walk off the ship and you can rent a Jeep for 50 bucks for the day. So you get four people each, it's 15 bucks each. You drive to the opposite side of the island, you know, there's nobody over there. There's great beaches and great restaurants. And That's cool. It's an easy way to spend a day. Yeah, absolutely. More, uh, cr- more crew get fired out of, you know, returning from Cozumel than probably any <laughs> other thing. What, what it would give me your top three uh, least favorite ports? Oh, least favorites. St. Thomas. Okay. Um, yeah, I wasn't too thrilled with St. Thomas either. I think it just seems like a tourist trap. I don't know if there's anything going it's on a there. Tourist but. trap. There's things to do, but you've got to get in taxis to go places to do it. Um, and the locals can be very unfriendly. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, St. Thomas would be one. Um, there's a port in Jamaica called Falmouth. Uh, Princess Cruises don't go there because it's owned by a competing cruise line. The whole... Um, it's owned? The, like they, well, the cruise line built the port oh, okay. that's attached to the town. Um, I think they stopped in Ocho Rios once. Yeah, and that's where... I mean, it's, it's, Falmouth is a Royal Caribbean port, so okay. their cruise liners will go there. And before they built that, they used to go to Ocho Rios or mm-hmm. um, Montego Bay. Mm-hmm. And no one in that, no crew member in that company's been happy since they made the switch. Oh, right. Because it's found that there's a town for a captive audience. You know, there's the port, and if you leave the port, the town, there's nothing there. It actually feels quite 
you know, uncomfortable bordering on dangerous. Jamaica's rough, man. I mean, that's another reason you got to be careful there. You wander too far off in the wrong direction, you're going, ooh, this is... Yeah, well, the idea they have is that people will book tours and go off and do a tour. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you could have a dream cruise gig, where would it be? Where would you go? Are there certain lines you've eyed you've eyed up and gone, boy? If I was going to do another ship, that would that be a good one to do? Uh, yes, and there's a few different ones. I mean, one wouldn't make a lot of sense because it involves you know a certain ship and a certain group of friends in certain positions on board that would just make my <laughs> life easy. You know, particular cruise director, particular friends in the entertainment team, that kind of thing. The ship is the allure of the seas. It's a big Royal Caribbean one. It's one of the two biggest in the world at the moment. They're about to build a third one. Oh, wow. Um, and it would be a European cruise. Um, you know, European ports, you can step off the ship and you're in the heart of the city. You don't have to get in cabs. Um, yeah, that's why I would want to, you know, yeah. I mean, just going to Stockholm and seeing those ships come in was like, this would be... This is the great stuff. This is much better than St. Thomas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just get off here. And that's one of those I think they would stay overnight, you know, because there's so much to see. Yeah. You can't do Stockholm in four to six hours. No, you, you just can't, can't do yeah. it. Um, the other thing would be just to do long cruises of Asia. Oh, okay. Um, there's so much. I mean, for, for even people that are experienced travelers, there's a lot of Asia that's just obscure and unique and it's a great place to go and explore and, and it's it's not you know a Caribbean cruise is great if you want to sit around and do nothing on the beach all day but I've never been that kind of person Yeah, I mean, whereas you know you can be challenged every single time you get off the ship in Asia in particular in China it's very rare you come back relaxed from a day out in China Yeah, <laughs> but you certainly have an experience absolutely yeah. now that'd be kind of cool if um, but you being Australian you never did any of the Asian ones I mean you never did any Asian tours I have but the itineraries have always been very short oh, okay. um, five day cruises seven day cruises going and visiting the same two ports repeatedly and when you're working on the ship it's great to go to Jeju Island which is beautiful but when you're going there once every three or four days and there's so much more of Asia to see you're thinking you know once every month or so we do a cruise that would go to six or seven different ports and we do the overnight in Kobe and it was brilliant but then we'd only do it once every you know month right. or so right so I mean were most of the people on those ships uh, Australian or are they Japanese or that the run that I was doing we were we had Chinese passengers Chinese okay it now you're saying probably more Chinese nationals getting around they're getting around the world now yes absolutely more and more yeah they're a tough audience though I mean how do they take to the piano <laughs> the piano bar. It's it's interesting. They they don't really care about the music because they don't really know a lot of it. Yeah, that's what I was um, going to say. There's a huge fascination with the Chinese audience to take photos of what's obscure to them. So a white guy sitting in the corner playing the piano and singing is relatively obscure. So they'll come in, they'll they'll take photos. Without asking, they'll come up and do selfies with you and group shots with you, and then they'll sit in the bar for five or ten minutes, and then they'll leave again. Um <laughs> Also, a Chinese audience is not a big drinking crowd, so they're not coming in and ordering drinks. Um, the few people that are in the bar will stay for 10 minutes, but they're not going to have any drinks. So then mm -hmm. back to shopping or gambling or <laughs> or eating, you know. Yeah. The Chinese audience loves to eat. Yeah, they got to... Uh, what are the buffets like there? Because, I mean, you have to... I guess the cruise line would have to change the entire menu to... 
the, men- the menu has changed, but I, I can remember with the Shanghai crowd, um, it was it was almost hard to access the buffet because they would have it would just be full all the time. They'd have a lineup outside, and they would have people in on a time limit. They'd be kicking people out so they could move the next people in. <laughs> it was really really slammed. All Did the they time. even wait in line? Because uh, you know the Chinese are notorious for not waiting in line. I mean. You, <laughs> when you stop them physically from getting in the door, they have no other choice. Uh, right. But then that that was the only contract. I mean, with my position on the ship, I can eat in the guest areas, and that was the only contract I think I've ever done where I elected to eat in the crew areas out of my own choice mm-hmm. because it was just it wasn't fun. Yeah. Did they smoke too in the in all over the ship? I mean, they're not supposed to be. Yeah. They yeah. Do. yeah. <laughs> There was a number. They spoke of, a lot. There's a number of times we'd be putting out fires in bins because they'd oh. go and drop a cigarette butt in a paper and plastic bin, and next thing it's got smoke billowing out of it. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's get off uh, cruises for a little while. Let's let's go back to Australia. Being from Sydney, what would you say to tourists when they want to go to Australia? Things that I mean, they're going to see the big stuff. What are some things that they should see that maybe they not heard about? that you would know maybe some out of the way places oh out of or the way or cool places. towns that aren't really on the guidebooks or even neighborhoods in Sydney like that's that would have been my first thing to suggest would be uh, in Sydney I mean the centre of the city and the harbour areas it's stunning it's one of the best scenic views you'll ever see in the world and I'm not just saying that because I'm from Sydney like Sydney Harbour is stunning and the bridge and the opera house et cetera, oh, yeah it's et gorgeous but we have such a diverse uh, group of ethnic communities around the city, like in the inner suburbs and even the outer suburbs, that you know you can get phenomenal food by going to these little places, but you're never going to hear about them as a tourist coming to Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, in Strathfield, there's a massive Korean population. Um, Strathfield? Yeah. Okay. And that's only 15 minutes from the centre of the city on the train, but... That's not somewhere your average international tourist is going to venture to. And a lot of Chinese, too, right? And Greeks. Yeah, there's a huge Chinese population. You will find a lot of that right in the heart of the city. Mm -hmm. Um, Greek population, Italian population. Again, an Italian population is only... It's only a few miles along Parramatta Road, like the road Mm -hmm. that heads west out of the city, but you're not going to get a lot of tourists that go there. I I think Bandai Beach is mostly Greek, right? That's where the... There was a lot of Greek restaurants, I remember. There's a lot of Greek restaurants there, but that's where you're going to find a lot of English tourists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hanging out by the beach. Um, what, do you, what do you think of uh, Melbourne? Because I, I was in Melbourne. I loved it. I thought it just reminded me. Every city in Australia kind of reminded me. I could compare it to like a U.S. city. Somewhere like, at home, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Melbourne is very San Francisco with the cable cars and the yep. hills and the, the weather's similar. I mean, yeah. And... Uh, I, I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Melbourne, I would say, is a far more cultured city. And getting um, more expensive, I, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, Sydney is, is certainly the most beautiful for scenery, but Melbourne, as far as a cultural experience, certainly has has it down. Mm-hmm. Um, much better restaurants, f- food, um, live music scene, art scene, everything's in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and all of the biggest um, exports that Australia has in in pop music and rock music has generally been based out of Melbourne. What, why do you think that is? Is there more of a university town there or is it just more of a 
I don't know, cultured that way? The arts are more appreciated? I, I heard think, it's like number one in bookstores or something I in think the world. The arts are more appreciated. Like Sydney's like your financial and business capital okay. and Melbourne's Melbourne has that obviously, but it's not to the same extent. Um, and the, the Victorian government has always been far more proactive about supporting the arts. Um, and anything to do with entertainment generally. Um, you know, Melbourne always hosts things like Grand Prix races because the government, you know, pushes to have these events, whereas the New South Wales government doesn't want anything. Right. You know, we pushed to have the Olympics, but that was right. it. Right. And the tennis is in Melbourne. Yes. And uh, I think there's a big comedy festival there as well. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure what it's called, but yeah, I do. Know, I know they have comedy. Um, you've never. You, did you say you've never been to the centre? You've never been. To never the, been to. That's amazing to me. Australia, yeah. Like your family never said, well, you know what, let's take a trip. We should see our country. Let's go. No, we've never done that. You know, growing up, we always we had a lake about half an hour from home. We used to go camping and water skiing, and you know, we were all happy with that. That's okay. Um, yeah. Because getting there is so far. You know, it's just it's a hell of a trip. Yeah, I think I think you could do it in a two day drive. You'd be insane to do it. <laughs> um, I mean, mum and dad with some friends made it to Adelaide in one day once from Sydney which is um, probably shouldn't happen in one day like they said they were setting the cruise control on the car at 180 k's an hour which is oh, God. Um, it's got to be it's about 110 well 120 mile an hour every 200 k so yeah about 110 I, I have a converter on my phone but, uh, yeah, because you, what are you going to hit? You're not going to hit anything, right? Well, there's nothing to hit, yeah. Uh, except a, uh, a kangaroo, maybe. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to hit it at that speed. Yeah, I know. Um, it's like uh, deer hitting your car. I'm going to find out. Funnily enough, you know, we, when I get home from this contract in, uh, in July this year, a family friend of ours is organizing a big... I think it's a marathon that's got a concert attached to the end of it. And so a lot of people we know, like we know the guy who's organising it and a very good family friend of ours is building the stage for the concerts and then his father's driving the trucks that's going to take out the stage and stuff like that. So, oh, cool. So we're looking at going out as a family to, uh, you know, if we help with, the, you know, putting all this together and packing <laughs> it all away, then we get to stay there for free. Um, I mean, it's camping, but, you know, we, we get a spot to stay for free. We get to go and see the concert for free, and then we all go and get to see the middle of the country. So. Right. That's cool. 180 kilometers an hour is 112, just under 112 miles an hour. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Pretty quick. That's insane. But you've got long, straight roads with nothing on them. I know. It is. It's Mad Max. It, yeah. it is Mad Max yeah. world. Um, but you've never been to Perth, or you have been to Perth? I've been to Perth on a ship. I flew, I flew in there to join a ship, so I had one night mm-hmm. in a hotel there. That was a fun experience. We rocked up at the hotel, and, you know, as, as you do when you get to the hotel, the, the woman is typing on the computer, oh, I'm very sorry, sir. Uh, the room that you're booked for isn't ready, so we've had to put you in a suite. Oh, all right. And, you, know, oh, you know, it's hard to be moved if up. I and, must. and this was like this was the <laughs> suite. We were on the top floor. We had a two-bathroom oh, apartment <laughs> with a kitchen. And, you, know, yeah, was, yeah, you don't have to apologize for that. Yeah, it's not a problem. <laughs> but it's 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 only like a million people, right? Perth. Yeah, it's a small city. It's it's um, it's not as bad now. But at that point, this is four or five years ago. Uh, the most expensive city in Australia, and at that point, I think it was the most expensive city in the world as well. And that's because it's so just 
a long distance to get all the materials and food and everything else. You got to truck it in, fly it in, do everything. Well, Australia ship it in. At that point, Australia was booming with its um, natural resources being exported primarily to China, yeah. iron ore, copper, um, coal, yeah, every all metals and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and that slowed down as China's economy that slowed, slowed down as China's economy slowed down. But at that point. They were just expanding, and, and the mining operation was huge, and all that's in sort of northwestern Australia. So workers would be flying in, doing two weeks' work, and then flying out. But the majority were based in Perth. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about people who were, you know, cabin attendants, you know, room attendants, changing sheets on beds and stuff like that, making a 200 grand a year. <laughs> So when they're going back to Perth, they've got money to burn. They're throwing it around like crazy. Um, so that pushed prices up. But the other thing is businesses in Perth were struggling to keep employees because everyone's running off to work in the mines to make this extortionate money. Right. Yeah. So then they have to pay a higher premium to keep people. So it was just a vicious cycle which pushed prices up. And going into a pub and ordering a beer would cost you 15 or $16. <laughs> Those days are done, though. Yeah. Okay. Everything's everything's coming back down to for better or worse normal now. Yeah, but does Australia have uh, when they, when they look at that kind of uh, uh, discrepancy, will the businesses respond like they do in America and just say we're just going to hire immigrants and pay them nothing? No, um, it's very hard. Well, for, the big thing is it's very hard for an immigrant to come into Australia and live legally. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you've done a pretty good job of uh, keeping them out. And yeah, the, the government's got a very, very harsh <laughs> policy on illegal immigration. Uh, you know, the good thing with being an island is that to get there, you have to take a boat. Which yeah. I mean, it's it's great for the government trying to keep people out, but it's not so good for the people that are trying to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is, it would be easier to pay for the visa in one way for, oh, or a return flight and just not use the the you know the leaving you know. Right. See, Trump can't build a wall around the island. No. <laughs> he doesn't have to. Exactly. Have you been to Tasmania? I, still, I have. I have never been. Yeah. What's it like? It's beautiful. Yeah? Um, it's got some of the, you know, some phenomenal World Heritage listed national parks and forests and stuff. Um, Hobart, the capital, has got a great restaurant scene. Um, it's, a, it's a very small city. I think it's only 400,000 people. But it's it's a beautiful place, you know, natural harbour that it sits on. Um, unfortunately, that the islands just had horrendous bushfires, and a lot of those heritage, world heritage, national parks have been destroyed. Oh man! But you know, give it twenty years, it'll be back. So, so in terms of growing up, like uh, Aussie humour, let's say the people in Sydney, when they want to make fun of people, who are they? Who do they make fun of? Like Northerners, like uh, the ones from. New Zealanders. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Kiwi is always getting it. That's yeah. Funny. There's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of like Kiwi jokes. Having a go at other Australians. Are they um, even those nut jobs up in like Darwin or any of those people? No, there's not a lot of yeah picking on people from the other. I mean, in sport, there's definitely like rivalry between the states. Oh sure, yeah. Um, or even between the sports. Um, the rugby players hate the uh, the uh, Aussie rules players or vice versa yeah yeah there's a bit of that in the cricket um, guys are in their own thing the cricket's in his own little yeah his own little world yeah um the um I forgot what I was going to say but there's not that like you know like making fun of the south or something like that in no, the US no. or anything like that 
I mean, I suppose, the redneck area? I suppose <laughs> the, the Australian, the Australian equivalent to the redneck would be the bogan. The bogan. <laughs> and uh, oh, where's the dunny? But there's there's not really a specific place where a bogan may come from. It's just, a, I suppose, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, a non-educated. Sure. Uh, every every country's got them. The um, so did you ever make it up to Darwin? I didn't get up to high. I went to Cairns, but that's about that's. A, I've been to Cairns. I haven't been to Darwin. Yeah, I haven't really done anything. That's, that's a haul. off the coast, right? Uh, because of cruising, I've been on a lo- on all the coastal big cities in the south. So Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Hobart. Um, Is the capital worth visiting? Canberra is it? Briefly, can we skip it. <laughs> you, you can skip it, but I mean, it's beautiful. You know that this the whole city was designed around being a capital. So, yeah. So and and our Parliament House is just it's ridiculous. Um, built into a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, if you you know if you're bored and you got the time, Google Australia Parliament House and just have a look at the photo of it. It's crazy. Um, so it's a very beautiful place, but it's not a very exciting place because it's also built around being a uh, national capital. It's got a University and it's got Parliament and that's yeah. about it. The one in Brazil is kind of like that. I've heard it's just like it was, you know, really cool architecture, but it was built to be the capital and it's in the middle of nowhere. And you get yeah. Brazil, Brasilia. But um, so when you were, uh, was your plan growing up that you were going? You knew that you were going to leave the country, or did you always want to leave, or is it? Aussies get around. I mean, they travel a lot. I I was probably the reverse of that growing up. Um, you know, even when I went to university, my university was about an hour's drive from home, and I lived with my parents throughout oh, wow. university and commuted because at that stage, I was in effect scared of the idea of living away from home. Like being self-supporting and self-sufficient seemed a little bit intimidating. Right. So when I did go over to England, um, well, no one told me at the time. There was this sort of expectation that I would fail. Um, you know, my parents anticipated I'd be, I'd be home within three months. Really? And then, you know, the visa was two years and it was almost two and a half before I came home. And I was home for uh, two months, three months at, at most. And then I left again. And um, by that stage, I'd been doing piano bar. So I'd been offered to come back to England to play for uh, the BBC Good Food Festival. Because <laughs> um, I had a piano bar at the festival in this uh, exhibition hall. So we went and did that. And then I, I made friends and contacts in Barbados. So I'd gone back to Barbados to work there. But yeah, you know, growing up, I was the kid that looked like he'd never leave his parents' house. And then when I went overseas and, and found a you know, it's, it's when you put yourself in that situation where you move to the other side of the world, you, you're putting yourself in a sink or swim situation. And I was adamantly not going to fail. <laughs> so you just do whatever it takes to survive. Um, and then I just sort of, it was fun, you know, playing piano and singing for a living was a lot of fun. And, and I didn't want to stop doing that. And I didn't want to stop traveling. So I just, I did it for long enough that that became my normal life. And then, <laughs> you know, the kid who was never going to leave ended up being the one that never came back. So you never did the typical, like, uh, 21-year-old Australian thing and take off for a year? That I met, I meet so many of those guys on the road, you know, in, in hostels everywhere around the world. There's always the young Australian dude or woman. Yeah, yeah, and, and most, <laughs> most Australians, you know, plan on traveling for a long time, for years. And yeah, they, yeah. And they go and they do 12 months or two years. Like, the big thing is England for two years and then use that as a, as a starting point to go to Europe. You know, you can work in England, you can live there, you can speak the language, 
and then if you want you can go away for as short as a weekend to France or Spain and yeah, then or you know you work for a few months and you take a month and you do a, a trip and that's what most people do and then after a year or two they go home and either start working or start university and mm-hmm. I mean I went over primarily to play music um, as soon as I landed it became really you know like I was very aware of the fact that you could catch a train to France in three hours or an easy jet flight to anywhere in two hours yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so travel became very appealing only after I arrived but it was very immediate when I arrived in Europe um, it's so easy yeah so easy but I still persisted with the music thing. I used to, oh, I mean, initially it was open mics and seeing if bands needed people and stuff like that. But then the piano bar thing started and then, you know, it was an easy way to make a living. and It was a lot of fun, especially in my early 20s. So No, oh, it got to be great. Did you ever, like, look, try any other European countries to live in? Did you ever go to, like, France or Germany or any place like that? I went for travel. I never went to try and live there. Okay. Um, I mean, years and years later, in, in 2013 or 2000, no, 2012, I think it was, I, I did a month of work in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. Um, which was cool. I mean, it was cold. It was the coldest winter in about 35 <laughs> years. And it averaged, again, we're going to have that, you know, conversion nightmare, but it averaged minus... 15 minus 20 degrees C which is yeah you know in like zero, zero. Yeah. yeah I can look it up um, but so was that a good experience I mean other than the weather I mean it's gotta be it was interesting for a month I mean you know you, of course you walk around and you you look at the all of the uh, excesses that Amsterdam's known for but I, I didn't never really wanted to participate in it you know I'm not the kind of person who's going to go and make acquaintance with prostitute and I'm not really yeah. a, a drug taker so you sort of go and witness it and it's interesting um, there's a lot of museums there and it's, it's, it's just a cool city laid out on all the canals and a lot of the buildings look like they're melting as they're you know, built on clay and yeah. sinking um, I mean it's a great place um, so yeah it was an interesting experience yeah it was fun minus 15 Celsius is 5 degrees Fahrenheit yeah, so that was your average day. That's cold. Remember there was a cold snap one night and like we were staying in an apartment on the Grand Canal and the Grand Canal's got to be 20, 30 metres wide. And okay. there's always, uh, there's always canal boats doing you know tours up and down the river and one day there's canal boats and the next day there's people ice skating. It, it had been that cold overnight, it, it was frozen solid enough for people to comfortably go skating. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, give me your worst cruise experience ever. Could be whether it's waves, whether it's uh, fear, whether it's uh, just conditions, where they put you up, anything stand out in your mind. You don't have to name the <laughs> the cruise line. Well, one would you just got off the boat and they're like, that was a horrible experience. Oh, there's there's a few different things that come to mind. I mean, <laughs> yeah. to to keep you say it, more than one to keep it with something that's going to be entertaining. I mean, we had one day crossing the Tasman, so sailing from Melbourne down towards New Zealand in the Tasman Sea. It's a notoriously rough sea. We were on a pretty small ship. Oh, and I'm nauseous already. The this. nose of the ship was ducking under the waves. <laughs> we hadn't thrown around that much, and. Um, do they cancel all the shows and everything else on when it's that rough? They do, yeah. yeah. Uh, or they'll try and put something on stage that's not going to require a lot of movement. 
Um, I can remember like a guy at a piano. Yeah, and, and that's that's <laughs> happened to me um, on a, in a rough sea. The very last minute, cancel one of the production shows because it's dangerous for the singers and dancers to be running around with props. You know, big yes. props that can. And I'm running around with a microphone. Who knows what could happen? Yeah, so I've been I've been put on stage in in place of that, and that's. It's interesting, you know, because you don't get a big crowd and it's very hard to get their energy up when they're feeling sick from the motion of the ship. Do you get sick? Not really. No, I, you're lucky. I feel like I've got a hangover. Oh, um, man, I get, I get nauseous. i got to be really careful. Um, I mean, I've had, I've had cruise experiences where I've got off and just the management of the ship's been appalling mm-hmm. and the whole crew is miserable. Um, and really it does stem from the captain down if you've got a good captain then everyone can have a great time if you've got a really strict captain then everyone can be miserable mm-hmm. um, I won't name the ship or, or where I was but yeah I remember there was one ship where uh, actually my, my grandmother got quite sick and it looked like she was going to pass away and I hadn't seen her for years and, and you know I was not not really planning on going home if she did pass away but it, it just gave me a good excuse to leave this ship that was miserable. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a horrible truth, but that that was my out, you know. Right, right. Well, there's always a lot of old people on cruises. Have you ever had people die on on ship, on board? It does. It happens more than the cruise industry will admit to. Mm-hmm. Um, the only, I mean, you know, it's usually old age. Um, but they just they just try and keep it quiet because they don't want you know if people hear that you know someone on a ship died it just brings everybody down. Yeah, um, a ship I was on last year actually on the final day of a crossing cruise we were sitting in port in Fort Lauderdale and there was the emergency call and someone had had a heart attack and <laughs> because we'd had this crossing most of the medical team was being uh, preoccupied with disembarks from other people that had got sick throughout throughout the cruise mm. so there wasn't any really medical team on board and this guy had a heart attack and anyone who was qualified ran along to help but the guy and you know the guy just that was his time you know medical team there or not that was his time but right. it, was, it was a horrible experience you know it was dropped dead in in the elevator stairwell you know have you ever had to go see a doctor on a ship yeah but nothing nothing major you know sinus infections from gonorrhea cabin pretty much <laughs> Thankfully, none of that. Uh, what, which cruise line has the best food that you've experienced or that you've heard that has the best? That I've been on, I would say Princess, mm-hmm. um, where I am now. Um, Royal Caribbean has their specialty restaurants, which which are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know, I'm not going to go and pay an extra twenty bucks a night to go and have the two and a half hour extravaganza. Exactly. But just for the average food, yeah, Princess. I'm wondering how the uh, I got to think those those uh, European ones with the, like the river tours and things like that. The smaller boats would have more exclusive clientele. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, f- for what I've seen, I've only worked with the big family friendly cruise lines, really. Um, you know, you've got lines like Silver Sea, um, Regent Cruises, ships that hold 500 guests and have as just as many crew. Wow! You know, we sit at about a three to one on these big ships. So it's just pampering. Yeah. Anything you need. Yeah. But then you know, you get on these little ships and you're looking at a thousand dollars a night, <laughs> as opposed to a thousand dollars a week. But yeah. Then it's, it's entirely all inclusive. If you want to sit and knock back high-end cognac with dinner every night and it doesn't cost you an extra cent more to do it and you will get your five-star dining yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you never you never played on one of those no no oh, yeah. then i would need to know my standards and my <laughs> jazz and my show tunes yeah and, exactly 
Yeah. Um, you just went to America. Yep. And you finally you got to see you toured the Western U.S. You rented a car in San Francisco. We were talking about. Yep. You had never seen that part of the country before, or done any of it. You went I'd, to Vegas, and I'd been to Vegas before. I'd been to Tahoe and San Francisco before, but we we sort of, um, you know, by renting a car, you're seeing the in between of these places as opposed to just flying there. Yeah. And um, you know, we went down the eastern side of the Sierra through. Death Valley into Vegas and along the Grand Canyon, um, Monument Valley, Antelope Canyon, um, out through the four is it Four Corners Monument yeah. down to um, Albuquerque and stopping in as many you know national parks and you know obscure things we could find along the way. Someone pointed out to us early on in the trip there was a website roadsideamerica.com. <laughs> And it's like all kitschy, weird, and wonderful stuff. Oh, like the old uh, Route 66 stuff? Yeah, 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 but like that kind of stuff, but all over the country. Oh, and okay. you could just look on a map and go, okay, well, that's where we are, and this is what's nearby. You know, we, we took a detour. Was it the second largest ball of twine in the yeah, that, world? That yeah, that kind of thing. Like we took a detour <laughs> in Death Valley. It was about oh, 45 minutes to an hour. Like out of our way, we had to go down on one road and come back to this little ghost town called Ballarat you know it was a big gold mining boom town 200 years ago and the whole place existed for a matter of months right and at its peak it had like eight saloons you know, eight <laughs> pubs and it only lasted months and it packed up and left again there's still a big gold mine down there now but no one lives there hmm. and so there's a couple of shacks but the thing that drew us there is there's a you know a really old truck that's supposed to supposedly uh, Charles Manson's truck Oh, okay. So we were like, yeah, well, let's go and have a look at that. And, you know, there's one man that lives there as caretaker, and he's he's paid to stay there, and he lives in squalor, basically, but he's content with his life by himself. And people come out and take photos of this truck and then leave again, and that's exactly what we did. <laughs> what Aside from things like that, was there things about... I, I'm always interested when, when uh, people from outside the country come into the U.S. and how it compares to what they assumed it would be and what it is. I mean, did anything change in your mind of what you knew about it, of America, your image of it? Not not overly. Um, coming from Australia, the, the big thing that's apparent, uh, in Australia we don't have the Guns? grand scale of... Well, there's that too, yeah. We don't have the grand scale of mountains that you do in Europe and you do in the States and a lot of places around the world. Like Our, our highest mountain is just over 2,000 metres, so 6,000 feet. Yeah. That's our highest mountain, and that's is a very small concentrated area which has anything that high. Um, that's just a little higher than Denver, I think. Yes. Yeah, so Denver's got, like 5,000-something. And you've got cities that high. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got mountain ranges that surround those. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we crossed at one point coming from... I can't remember where we were off the top of our head, but we crossed a mountain range that was 9,000 feet. So we were going from 2,000 over 9,000, then back down the other side again. It's probably the Sierra Nevada when, there. When you get into the valleys and you're surrounded by these mountains and they're off in the distance, even if they're, you know, 50 miles away off in the distance, it just puts a whole different grand scale on, on you know, how big everything is there. And, and it's... Yeah. When you're not used to that sort of a sight, it's, it's an incredible thing to see. <laughs> I think for Aussies, I think the I always wonder if the toughest thing is everywhere they go, 
compared to where they're from, there's got to be just like so many people. It's got to seem crowded. Everything must seem crowded to Aussies because there's nobody in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> there's just so much room there. There's no people. Yeah, when you get out, I mean, when you get out into the the western national parks in the States, you do go for you know really long stretches without seeing anything. Yeah. You know, you'll go 100, 200 miles and you won't see a town. Um, so, yeah, you, you get that sort of emptiness that, that the western United States is known for mm-hmm. and we, we've certainly got the same thing in Australia but I've never been through it to see it but mm-hmm. whereas in the States you'll have you know maybe a couple of hundred miles without seeing anything at home you have a couple thousand miles without seeing yeah, anything <laughs> yeah you'll have a couple of thousand and, and um, the thing is We've got a lot of land that just has nothing in it. Doesn't even have roads. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, nothing. Just nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing to think about it. What is it up to? Now? Is it twenty three million? Twenty three million. Wow. Yeah. And I think you know California has I think thirty three. Yeah, <laughs> California alone has thirty three. I think. Yeah, and the mainland of Australia and the mainland of the United States are so not including obviously Alaska and Hawaii yeah. doesn't count for much. Mm-hmm. Um, are roughly the same size. So you think you've got small states that have a greater population than our entire country. 23 million to, I think we're up to about 310 maybe million now in the U.S. There's a big difference. There's more people in Manhattan than there is in our most populated state. (laughs) And our most populated state is not our smallest one either, so... What what, what would... New South Wales. Yeah, Sydney Sydney is, yeah. And Victoria would be second? Yeah. Okay. Then probably Queensland. Queensland yeah. yeah, Brisbane reminded me of Miami. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> same kind of like you know, humid and tropic, and it's kind of about the same size as well. And yeah, swampy, you know, yeah. flat and that kind of thing. And yeah, everything reminded me of something else. I'm sure Perth would probably the, from pictures it reminded me of like Phoenix. Yeah, if Phoenix was by the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> but um, well, okay. Do you have um, a website or anything where people can find you or like they know? Yeah, yeah, I've got a website. It's just my name, so uh, henrysaxby.com. And um, I've got a couple of albums on iTunes if anyone's interested. Yes. Are there links there to yeah. get the yeah. albums? Everything's on the website, so that'll, okay. that'll redirect you. And then, yeah. Henry Saxby, what were the names of the albums? Uh, Surf City. Uh, <laughs> Surf City? Which is uh, the name of one of the songs, which is a song about leaving Sydney at a time when I didn't really want to. Okay. Um, so it's not the old uh, Jen Dean hit. No, no. <laughs> and uh, best heard loud. Okay, best heard loud. Like, turn it up. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Best heard loud. All right, we'll go to uh, henrysaxby dot com. And uh, it was great meeting you on this on this uh, trip. Yeah, you too. Thank, Thank you for doing this. Cheers. No worries. Henry Saxby, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.